In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Mary, Queen of all hearts. Saint Louis Marie de Montfort. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. It is something of a commonplace today when one speaks of Saint Louis Marie de Montfort to fall into a habit of that dangerous typecasting that we Catholics have always fallen into with regard to our holy men and women. And so Saint Francis is the saint that we put out in our backyards because he, you know, we, we, we take certain elements of holy people and we reduce the complexity of their lives to certain things which are significant and not unimportant but don't necessarily capture the full greatness of the individual and what God has done in that life. And with Father de Montfort, normally it's he's the Marian saint. And specifically, in our modern age, the consecration guy. And there is a truth to that. But if we're not careful, that kind of soundbite approach to holiness and to a life ends up reducing someone to a narrow band of things that don't actually allow us to really appreciate the real movement of grace. This is particularly the case in no small measure with Father de Montfort, who, again, despite the fact that many today will profess their esteem for him and even their affection for him, tend to know very little about him. That's why today's feast, the exaltation of the Holy Cross, is so very important. When Father de Montfort passed away, he was referred to as the Apostle of the Cross and the Rosary. But note the order, the Apostle of the Cross and the Rosary. And there is a primacy in his spirituality which is, uh, of the Cross of Jesus Christ. It is very much a center of gravity for him. And without understanding his relationship to the mystery of the cross, there is no understanding his devotion to Mary. There is no understanding his beautiful writings on consecration because they spring from this. The apostle of the cross. In fact, in his writings, Father de Montfort is going to very directly say The cross is an object of adoration. Our Lady is not. Note the difference. Adoration is given to God. But why the cross? Because the cross is soaked with the blood of Christ. Jesus living in Mary, Jesus incarnate in Mary, is an object of adoration. But the cross soaked with his blood, likewise, likewise, is an object of adoration. And so it is then that for Father de Montfort, 
A right relationship with Jesus necessarily involves a relationship with his cross. And a right, a proper belonging to Jesus necessarily involves a belonging to Christ in the mystery of his cross. He writes in his book, The Love of Eternal Wisdom, the greatest secret of the king, the greatest mystery of eternal wisdom is the cross. And it becomes the key that unlocks the fullness of him. So it's worth now taking some time to unpack this aspect of Father de Montfort's life, the apostle of the cross. At our homily today, we spoke of one aspect of that relationship. His insistence when he visited his hometown and preached the silent sermon, which was an act of adoration of the cross, his insistence was that you do not come to hear me. You come to meet Christ in his fullness. And we find that in this mystery. And the more we engage the Lord in this mystery, the more we will come to know him, and in knowing him, we will love him. So that is one aspect. But implied in that approach, in Father de Montfort doing that, is the fact that he himself fixed his heart on the cross of Jesus Christ and made it a treasure and exalted it and enthroned it within his own heart. And then thirdly is the aspect of the very real presence of the cross in its difficulties that met him during his life and the way he not just willingly but joyfully received and embraced those difficulties. What a tall order that is. What a very tall order that is. And his relationship with the cross begins young. While he was a student in the seminary, he encountered a book by the great preacher Henri Boudin, entitled The Holy Ways of the Cross. And it was a book that captivated him and caught his attention because it spoke to something he was already experiencing in his, in his zeal and in his desire to grow in his faith. He was attracted to the suffering Christ. He wanted to unite himself with that. But as a young man, he wasn't sure how to navigate that because youth, for all of its idealism, also has a certain recklessness about it. And it's the recklessness of not having experience. And so he was attracted to extreme forms of penance. And this book helped him to moderate that without giving it up. He was at times trying to navigate the fact that his example, his witness, his fervor created difficulties for him. And how was he to understand that? How to have such a singular spirituality while being formed in a setting where singularity was usually identified with prideful willfulness. 
and how does one be true to himself? And so he found in Father Boudin's book a wise approach to what it means to embrace suffering, to what it means to identify oneself with Jesus in the mystery of his suffering, and how to do that responsibly and well. This stayed with him his entire life. In fact, the rest of his biography on some levels can on the one hand be described as him giving lived witness to the content of what Father Boudin was trying to explain in his book. But it begins with this. The great love, Father Bonford is going to say, of the heart of Jesus is the cross. What a curious thing to say. The great love of the heart of Jesus is the cross. Not you, not me, but the cross. And when we put it that way, we turn some of the things we say just casually without even appreciating what we're trying to say right on their head. We love to say, Jesus loves me, and Jesus loves you. We never say, Jesus loves the cross. And when we miss that point, that there is a certain affection in the heart of Christ, a certain desire for, a love for the cross in Jesus, our understanding of what it means to say Jesus died on the cross for us becomes different. So Father de Montfort writes that eternal wisdom, Jesus Christ loved the cross from his infancy. In fact, he loved it in Mary's womb from the very first instant of his human life. And as he writes, he puts words on the mouth of Jesus, in a sense. He says, eternal wisdom loved the cross from his infancy, saying that I chose you, O cross, in heaven, in the bosom of my Father, I set my eye and my heart on you, and I loved you, and I chose you. And I stepped out of heaven, and my leaving heaven was a movement toward you, O cross. Boy, it sounds different when we put it that way than saying he stepped out of heaven for us. He stepped out of heaven for the cross. And here in the womb of his mother, he chooses the cross again. And the language Father de Montfort uses is language is very similar to the language he uses in his act of consecration to Our Lady. Here within Our Lady, I choose you, O cross, to be my spouse and my mistress, giving myself entirely to you. And know what he's saying. The cross is going to be the means by which he gives himself completely. And the Lord goes to the cross, not reluctantly, not grudgingly, but freely, widely, openly. And it is on that cross that he will give himself. 
and he has fallen in love with the means of his giving himself. To the glory and the honor of his Father, and to you and your salvation. I choose you. And so this movement then, note what this then says. Why does Jesus come to earth? And it is not simply to be with us. And it is not simply to help us and not simply to heal us and not simply to save us if we understand salvation as involving something else than the cross. He knows exactly where he's going. In choosing to become man in the womb of the Virgin Mary, he is choosing the cross. And he is saying, that is where I am going. How absolutely marvelous that is. The Lord knows where he is going. And this is an element that the Gospels themselves make very clear. The Lord is not taken by surprise by the events of his passion. The Lord is not a victim of circumstance. He's very clear. That is where I am going. And if you're following me, guess where you're going to? But this is where we go. We are going to Jerusalem, and not because it's Jerusalem, but because that's where the cross is. That's where we're going. Eternal wisdom loved the cross from his infancy. This great love of his life, this love where he looks at the cross, he knows the suffering, he knows the scandal, and he loves it. Not because he's in love with pain, but because this is where he will give himself. This is where he will express his belonging. What a remarkable statement that is. But this is the fruit of Father de Montfort, meditating on the scriptures, reflecting on Christ, and then recognizing that there is an intimacy that one has with Jesus that can only be received by sharing in the cross because it is the most intimate of things. It is the deep and great love of his heart. And the more one comes to share it, the more one is united with him. And Father de Bonford comes to embrace this idea. The issue is not that I love pain. The issue is not that I like things that are destructive. The issue is rather this is where I can unite myself with him. And if that is the way, then I will walk it. And so it is then that he looks at the Lord and he doesn't want to water down, he doesn't want to explain away the full beauty of the gospel, which can only be understood by means of the cross. Jesus steps out of heaven and like Job can say, naked I am born into the world, and naked I lay my life down in the world. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. And note that here Jesus himself is the giving of the Lord, who gives himself in the nakedness and the poverty of his birth, 
and who gives himself in the nakedness of his death on the cross, who gives himself away. The Lord gives, and the Lord takes away. And what does Jesus say? No one takes my life from me, I lay it down. I lay it down. And so note, who is Jesus? And what does it mean to say that Jesus takes flesh in the womb of Mary? means he takes upon himself the humanity that will give itself on the cross. Mary's not the end point. She's the necessary movement point toward which he moves to his cross, and she's included there as well. But note how marvelous that is. And all of a sudden then we see Formed in Our Lady, Jesus is the one who will give his life on the cross for you and for me and for our salvation. This is who Jesus is. And so if we want to know the Lord, we have to know him in this mystery. If we know everything else about Jesus but don't know that, we don't know him at all. That's why he says this is the greatest secret of the king, that great mystery which opens up the understanding of all of the others. One can't understand the Sermon on the Mount without understanding and knowing the mystery of the cross. One can't understand what it is that the Lord calmed the storm or lays Lazarus from the dead without understanding the cross. It's that end point that gives meaning to everything else. And one can't understand and thinkably proclaim that Jesus is risen if one doesn't understand and embrace what it means to say he gave his life on the cross. Because that's who it is that has risen. And so that second reading that we had at Mass today becomes very important for Father de Montfort. Who is Jesus? He emptied himself, becoming like a slave. And then becomes even more humble, obediently accepting even death, death on a cross. And from that, God greatly exalts him. And note that movement. The Lord empties himself. How? In Mary, with Mary, through Mary. Why? That he go to the cross. And it is from the cross that he reveals his glory. And it is the cross that lifts, even as he is lifted up on it. And so Father de Montfort, coming to understand all of this, recognizes that there's an element for him in his belonging to Jesus which involves him wanting to find the mystery of the cross, to know it, to understand it, to embrace it, and to live it. And so he gives himself to doing several things. One is he regularly contemplates the events of the Passion. Why? The more I understand what Jesus has undergone and suffered for me, the more I will know who he is and the more I will love him. Note the point. The point is not merely to have some odd entertainment as if one's watching a horror movie unfold. 
Rather, the idea is to look into the mystery of the suffering of Christ and see what it reveals about the great love that bears all of this for me. And then in that light, in the light of that great love, then to see myself clearly as the one whose wrongs have caused such suffering. Note the difference, though. The point is, one is not to begin with guilt. The point is not to wallow in guilt. The point, rather, is to see how great this love is and how little I appreciate it. And why? So that I apologize and begin appreciating it more. What a, what a remarkably beautiful truth that is. And why? The more I know the Lord truly, the more I will love him. If I don't know him, I'm not going to love him. Father Moffat's going to say, why is Jesus so little loved? It's because nobody knows him. Everybody walks around with his name on their lips. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Oh, praise Jesus. Oh, I can't get enough, Jesus. And yet, amazingly, for all of the times we have his name on our lips in all of these positive ways, our lives move so little according to his will. Our lives are founded so weakly upon the gospel because we're content with a shallow knowing of him. And so here we see that Father de Montfort makes his own what St. Benedict, uh, Pope, what, no, what Pope Benedict, he's not saint, at least not yet, <laughs> uh, what Pope Benedict XVI put before the church in a number of his writings where he kept quoting a line from sacred scripture that is quoted in the Gospel of John during the Passion account. They will look upon him whom they pierced. And it's this idea of looking upon him, of lifting the cross to a pride of place in my life that I might truly see in the wounded face of Christ the glorious face of his love for me. And on seeing that, then the question becomes, how do I move, how do I unite myself with that? But for Father de Montfort, the issue is this. A Christian isn't simply somebody who knows stuff about Jesus. A Christian isn't just somebody who studies Jesus and thinks about Jesus. The very essence of Christian life is to live Jesus. And so for him, it was also a matter of the more he knew Christ, the more he wanted to surrender to the claim of what he came to know. The Lord came and took on the poverty of the world as his own, and so Father de Montfort wanted to know the hardship of poverty, the deprivation of poverty. Not everyone can do those things to the extent that he did. But note where this comes from, and the idea being that the Lord is that one who laid himself aside. And so there must be a laying of myself aside that is part of my belonging to him. The Lord himself chose to suffer and in doing so communicated that suffering is not valueless when it is united to his. Note the key. Suffering is not meaningless, not pointless, when it is united to Christ. This is the next element of Father de Montfort's relationship with the cross. 
it recognizes this. The only cross that saves is the cross of Jesus Christ. Every other cross is just pain, just futility, just hardship, and just horror. Suffering without Jesus is pain. Just like good things without Jesus in the end go nowhere. And so note, this is not an absolute privileging of suffering. It is recognizing that when suffering comes to me and I unite myself with the Lord on his cross, there is something powerful there. There is something wonderful there. And why that moment where the Lord most fully gives himself to us is that moment on his cross when he unites himself with our pain, with our woundedness, with our weakness, with our fragility. We whose lives are so often marked by pain and failure find that in pain and failure, the Lord has come to us. And why? Because there he says, the world tells you you have no value when you are wounded. You are no good when you are a failure. When you are in pain, you are too difficult and unpleasant for me to be around. And so come back to me when you're better. In other words, you're not good enough now. And note that it is exactly in those realities, those realities that a false piety says grace takes away, it's exactly in those realities where grace comes and Jesus comes. And then that which seems most pointless, most ineffective, most powerless in me actually becomes a means not just of my being saved, but of my participating in the salvation of the world. And what Father de Montfort learned is when I am embarrassed in my ministry, when I am opposed in my ministry, when I am a failure in what I do, it's not just, it's not just that I'm following Jesus, I begin to resemble him. I begin to resemble the faith, the, that one who was crowned with thorns. I begin to resemble that one who is an object of mockery and laughter. I begin to resemble that one who likewise fell beneath the weight of his cross. And note the difference, though. It's not talking about how Jesus resembles us, but how Jesus takes those painful elements of our lives and shows us how in them we can resemble him in the perfection of his love in the goodness of his love, in the saving power of his love. What a remarkable insight that is. And so this is why then, Father de Montfort wanted in everything he did to found his work on that one and only foundation that he knew to be secure, which was the cross. And so at one point, 
In a letter by a priest who was working with him while Father de Montfort was preaching, there's an absolutely remarkable series of statements. And this priest uh, traveled with Father de Montfort, helped him when he was giving his missions, and said, we were in the town of Virtu in France, and we were giving a mission. And this was just a short time after Father de Montfort was arrested. And he was arrested. He was humiliated. He was publicly embarrassed. And he's talking to him the next day, and he says, oh, Father, I'm, I'm so sorry this happened to you. I'm, I'm just embarrassed. I'm, I'm upset that you were treated this way. And he said, and, and Father de Montfort looked at me and said, as for myself, I couldn't be happier. And then he stopped and said, well, actually, I could be. If they locked me up for a while, I'd be even happier. And you sit there and you say, like, are you nuts? <laughs> and, but the issue is, again, the issue here is not that I like bad things happening to me. The issue is he understood this was happening because of the gospel, and it was causing him to resemble Jesus in a very real way. And his union with the Lord in this was at such a point where he was hungry for a deeper identification. A short time later, they're in the town of Virtu, and they're preaching a mission. And the mission's going well. There are conversions. People are coming out in numbers. They're talking about the sermons afterwards. And uh, this priest says and that one of the evenings, uh, right after evening prayer, Father de Montfort took me by the hand and said, come up to my room. And he was upset. He was agitated. He was beside himself. And I looked at him, and I, I wondered what was, what could be so wrong? What could be so terrible? Something clearly upset him. And to reassure him, I said, Father, everything's going well here. The people love us. They're responding to the preaching. They're coming out in numbers. We have everything we need. Everything is going well. The Lord is taking care of us. What's What's, what's the matter? And Father de Bonfer looked at him and said, that's exactly the problem. They like us too much. They listen to us. They're doing what they ask. We have everything we need. Don't you see? This is a problem. I think I want to end the mission tomorrow. We'll end it early. And his friend looked at him and said, Father, help me understand. Isn't this what we try to accomplish? And Father de Montfort said, but there's, I don't feel the cross here. It's too easy. And I don't want anything that isn't founded on the cross. And he said, I, and so this other priest had to sit with Father de Montfort for quite a while that night and talk him down away from the precipice. <laughs> we can't just end the mission. It's the only one we've had that hasn't been hard. <laughs> Maybe you can just suck it up and take it this once. <laughs> um, but what a, what, a, what a remarkable scene. This, this man who is receiving what so many preachers would say is exactly the indication that God favors you. And he's looking at it and saying, oh, the Lord just so hates me right now. Because he's not giving me that, that means by which I can unite myself with him and found my work on him.
And again, like I said, this is not a mere desire for hardship. This is not a self-indulgent, let me suffer and then show everybody what a hero I am. That's not what this is. What this really is, is that recognition that when it costs me to serve the Lord, and I willingly and even joyfully pay that price, I belong. I belong in a joyful and full way that reaches deeper than if it's just being surrounded with blessings and being grateful for them. It's not that he doesn't appreciate the good things. It's rather his heart desires a greater thing, a greater union. And it's, it's out of this, it's out of this where in the year 1710, Father de Montfort conceives the idea in the middle of the Diocese of Nantes where he's been preaching, that coming out of his missions, it will be wonderful to do something in such a way that the cross of Jesus Christ might be rightly and fittingly honored. Note the motivation. The desire is to rightly and fittingly honor the cross of Jesus Christ. And he's going to do something now that relates to what has already been happening in France. When missions were preached and the mission team would come into a parish and spend several weeks there preaching. Now, nobody had an annual parish mission back then. And certainly nobody had an Advent mission and a Lent mission. What we do today, these little uh, three and four day, what we call missions, which is really just a talk in the evening, that wasn't a mission back then. It was five, six, seven weeks of preaching all day long into the night, every single day. And the whole parish would be, in a sense, flipped upside down, and nothing about it wouldn't be transformed. And these events were once in a generation, not once a year, because of the magnitude of what was involved. And so at the end of a mission to celebrate the conclusion, the custom was a cross would be erected, uh, a large cross outside the church, 15, 20 feet tall, and blessed near the end of the mission or during the mission. But the idea was that the cross has been planted here. And the parish will now continue to enjoy the fruit of the tree of life, which is the cross. And Father de Montfort developed the custom in his preaching, let's put a Calvary up. Not just a cross, but a Calvary. Jesus on the cross. And at the foot of the cross, Mary Magdalene and the Virgin Mother and St. John. The cross and the people that the cross shapes and claims and forms. What a remarkable idea that is and encouraging then that the people of the parish could also see themselves in those who were gathered at the foot of the cross and understand the church literally as the people of God founded and brought together by the cross. And so at the end of a mission in the town of Pont Chateau, he decided to go further. He wanted a life-size Calvary, even larger than life-size, something that would be visible over the surrounding area, 40-foot-tall cross. 
and other crosses next to it. And then a life-size Stations of the Cross leading to it. And 15 chapels housing life-size statues of the Mysteries of the Rosary. And why? Because drawn by the cross, the people would come and enter into all of the other mysteries of Jesus. When I am lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. And so this element of his preaching, this element of his preaching, which asserted itself as well in an elaborate ceremony for the planting of the mission cross when he was preaching, it morphed now at this point into this bold vision. And it took over a year. Hundreds of people worked on this. They built a hill. They dug a moat. They cut a road. It was all by hand. They didn't have cranes and tractors back then. And even to the extent that nobles passing by on their carriage felt strangely compelled to stop get out, grab buckets of dirt and shovels, and participate in the building. Imagine this, an entire countryside of people, animated by the mystery of the cross, singing hymns, saying prayers, and working to produce this tremendous work which is predicated on the idea of making the cross visible. Because when the Lord is lifted, he will draw all people to themselves. And Father de Montfort, who first lifted the cross in his own heart before his spiritual eyes, understood his preaching in no small measure as a lifting up of the cross so that the Lord might draw all to himself. And you don't have to take my word for it. We can take his. Because Father de Montfort composed a song about the, the building of that Calvary. For a long time, Jesus, I have wanted to raise you on high to attract all hearts to your empire. Let us build a Calvary here. Let's build a Calvary. Jesus on the cross, may your kingdom come. It is time, it is time, that all may adore and follow you. Let us build a Calvary here. Let us build a Calvary. Mount the cross. Raise yourself on high. For we are powerless. We shall sing of your supreme power. Let us build a Calvary here. Let us build a Calvary. And then he has a verse, in the word, a verse in the words of Jesus. Yes, I will it. It glorifies me. And from the height of the cross, I shall proclaim victory in this holy place. Build my Calvary here. Build my Calvary. What a remarkable statement. Note the faith. Note the joyfulness about this. And note the absolute conviction. When we lift high the mystery of the cross, the Lord continues to draw all things to himself. What an important lesson for the church today in terms of its preaching. 
in terms of its prayer, in terms of Christian living. The importance of literally never losing sight of the power of this central mystery. It's why in the Eucharistic prayer we proclaim the mystery of faith. And you notice what we don't say? You know, Father says, the mystery of faith. And we don't say, the Sermon on the Mount. We don't say, Christ is born in Bethlehem. We don't say, the multiplication of loaves and fish. It's not that those things are bad. We don't say, the seven sacraments. We don't say, the Ten Commandments. What do we say? Christ, we proclaim your death, O Lord, and profess your resurrection until you come. The dying and the rising of the Lord, the mystery of faith. And so it is for Father de Montfort, he wanted to found everything on the mystery of faith. And so it happened that as all of this was going on, there were certain individuals in the area who felt threatened by it and bothered by it and challenged by it. And they sent word to the court at Versailles in Paris, to Louis XIV himself. Not directly to the king, but to his advisors. There's a crazy priest out this way. He's agitated the people, and they're building things that an English army could take advantage of. Tensions were high between England and France then. Should they invade, we have ready-made fortifications. Who knows, maybe they're even building them for the English. And so it turns out that on September 14th, 1710. What day is today? September 14th. It's the same feast day back then, the exaltation of the Holy Cross. On this very date in the year 1710, that Calvary was supposed to be blessed and consecrated and opened up into service, the original Montfortian shrine. And as I say that, I pause. So just to emphasize, this shrine is the echo of and the fruit of that. This shrine is only here because of that. But that was the original one. But on the day it was supposed to be dedicated. And imagine this. Imagine it was 1976. And it was the day that this shrine was supposed to be consecrated formally. And everybody was here. And the musicians are warming up their instruments. The procession is making its way up the hill. Everybody is gathering. People are looking at that statue only a year earlier installed on the large rock. Everybody is thinking about what needs to be done to finish the work on the property, but it's finally ready to be opened for public use. And imagine what would have happened back in 1976, as the procession was going up the hill, word came in from the bishop's office that said, you are not allowed to proceed with the blessing. And imagine the awkwardness. Imagine the awkwardness 
of Father having to say, we can't go forward. Imagine the awkwardness that says we're not allowed to bless the shrine. And we don't know when or if we'll ever be able to. And then imagine what the people who hear that are thinking after they contributed so much money, after they changed their schedules to come, after they were looking forward to this. And imagine just what the reaction among that crowd would have been. Because let's be blunt, it likely would have been angry. And there would have been yelling, and there would have been protesting. Um, and, the, you know, and whoever gave the message might feel lucky to get out of there with his skin. <laughs> um, you know, so let's just, just, just think about that. And so the order comes in forbidding the blessing. Father de Montfort hurries to the chancery, hurries to speak to the bishop, and while he's on the way, another order comes that demands the Calvary be torn down, disassembled. And so again, then imagine that as people are finally beginning to catch their breaths, the next order comes in and says, and the statue's got to get off the rock. And all of the other buildings that were put up, they have to come down. It all needs to be taken apart. So the interesting thing and the remarkable thing here is after all of that work of so many people and all of those hopes for what this place could become, Curiously enough, at the moment of triumph, the moment of its blessing on the exaltation of the cross, we see the power of the work because the cross asserts itself fully. And it asserts itself fully, not with a public triumph, but with a public demand to surrender. And imagine how ugly that scene could have been. The soldiers are on the way. The people are not happy. And you have Father de Montfort looking out at them and said, we have labored hard to build this Calvary here. But let us rather build it and bless it in our hearts. And there is no violence. There is no violence. There is real sadness, and everything is disassembled. But how remarkable that at that moment of public defeat, public humiliation, that's his response. And said in such a way and with such an authority, it calmed the angry, frustrated hearts of all of those who were there. After that, Father de Montfort went out of the diocese to a retreat house run by the Jesuits. And he was there several days praying quietly when they finally found out what happened. And the word from the Jesuits at the retreat house was, we never would have known. He said nothing. He complained not at all. He showed no anger, showed no sadness, showed no frustration. 
he simply prayed peacefully these last several days. What a remarkable spirit this is. And note that this is not a man who preaches the cross without loving it. This is not a man who holds the cross out and tells somebody else to carry it. This is a man who, like Christ, fixed his heart on the cross and is pleased to receive it however it comes to him. It's not that he enjoyed the humiliation, but he embraced it because Christ was humiliated, and that unites him to Christ. What a powerful difference, this mystical union with the Lord that expresses itself in such a compelling way. And I want to stress, this is a mystical union of his mature faith. If anybody is sitting here thinking, I so couldn't do that, that's the right response. We're not there yet. This is not something he did at the beginning of his spiritual life. He would not have been capable of this during his seminary days. Rather, this life of seeking the cross, of wanting to unite himself with the cross, finally revealed its hidden glory in this way. To the worldly eye, he's a failure, just like Jesus was on the first Good Friday. Yet in the eyes of heaven, this is a ringing success, and he looks like Christ. What a remarkable point this is. In fact, shortly after this, in that same diocese of Nantes, there was severe flooding, and he risked his life on rickety boats, bringing supplies to those who were threatened. Um, right after this, understanding again that the embrace of risk, the embrace of hardship, the embrace of difficulty is part of the embrace of the gospel. It's not recklessness. Um, but he calls me out of myself. The Apostle of the Cross. That location in France, the town of Pontchateau, is to this very day the home of the original Montfortian Shrine. After Father de Montfort died, permission was asked and the shrine was rebuilt. And then over the years, it's been rebuilt a couple times. Because um, after, you know, after 300 years, things do break down. Um, but how remarkable that what was begun all those years ago, ordered to be torn down, Louis XIV is dead a long time. The bishop who communicated his orders is dead a long time. That is still a place of prayer. Faithful from around the world still go there. The location of the hill on which he planted that first great cross is still there with a crucifix planted on it even today. When I am lifted up. Father de Montfort understood that moment on the day of blessing was but a moment. But the glory of the cross, that's eternal. 
And what he wanted was to found everything not on the passing glory of a passing moment, but on the enduring glory of an eternal victory. What a beautiful statement. The greatest secret of the king, the cross. And the more we know it, the more we know him. And the more we know him, the more we love him. And the more we love him, the more we will belong to him. Because in the end, it is in and through and by the cross that that famous statement, I am all yours, and all that I have is yours, comes to its full and most beautiful articulation. And Father de Montfort wanted nothing more than to know and then live the I am all yours of Jesus. And then seeing that, you see how beautifully his devotion to Mary fits into all of this. How wonderfully it fits into all of this. Because it is in Mary, with Mary, through Mary, and by Mary that he embraces and lives this. And as he gives his life on the cross, there is she included in that self-giving. But at the center of it all is that great love of the heart of Christ, the cross. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Now, I promise a blessing of crucifixes today. Does anybody have crucifixes to be blessed, or is that just wishful thinking? Okay, great. Okay, you guys ready? Fish your crucifixes out, your crosses out. My friends, let us venerate in faith the eternal plan by which God has made the cross of Christ the preeminent sign of his mercy. As we look upon the cross, let us call to mind that on it Christ brought to completion the sacrament of his love for the church. As we bow before the cross, let us remember that in his own blood, Christ has removed all divisions and out of the many nations created the one people of God. As we venerate the cross, let us reflect that we are ourselves Christ's disciples and must therefore follow him, willingly taking up our own cross each day. We worship you, Lord, we venerate your cross. We praise your resurrection, for through your cross, you have brought joy to the world. Christ Jesus, you emptied yourself, taking the form of a servant and being made like us. Grant that your people may follow the example of your humility, we pray to the Lord. Christ Jesus, you humbled yourself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. Grant that your servants may imitate your obedience and patient endurance of trials. We pray to the Lord. Christ Jesus, you were raised up by the Father and given the name that is above all names. May your people persevere in your service to the end. We pray to the Lord. Christ Jesus, at your name, every knee in heaven, on earth, and under the earth will bend in adoration. Draw all people to your heart so that they will honor and adore you in faith. We pray to the Lord. 
Christ Jesus, every tongue shall proclaim to the glory of the Father, Jesus Christ is Lord. Welcome our brothers and sisters who have died into the unfailing joy of your kingdom. We pray to the Lord. Hold your crosses up. Blessed are you, Lord God, Father all-holy, for your boundless love. The tree, once the source of shame and death for humankind, has become the cross of our redemption and our life. When his hour had come to return to you in glory, the Lord Jesus, our King, our Priest, and our Teacher, freely mounted the scaffold of the cross and made it the royal throne, his altar of sacrifice, his pulpit of truth. On the cross, lifted above the earth, he triumphed over our age-old enemy. Cloaked in his own blood, he drew all things to himself. On the cross, he opened out his arms and offered you his life, the sacrifice of the new law, that gives to the sacraments their saving power. On the cross, he proved what he had prophesied. The grain of wheat must die to bring forth an abundant harvest. Father, we honor the cross as the sign of our redemption. May we reap the harvest of salvation planted in pain by Christ Jesus. May our sins be nailed to his cross, the power of life released, pride conquered, and weakness turned to strength. Bless, we pray, these crosses and the homes in which they will be kept that for those who dwell within those homes, the cross be the comfort in time of trouble, their refuge in the face of danger, their safeguard on the vagaries of life's journey, until you welcome us to our heavenly home. Grant this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you all for praying with us today.